0: Caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney.
1: Oh yes, caught offside in the suburbs of New York City, an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. It's Devunling night, my friend. Andrew,
2: I am so excited about this award show. Far more excited than I've been able to muster for the entire of the actual football. The award show means more to me than the season just passed. It's more fun to do this now than it was to watch this season. Good evening, everyone.
1: The latter portion of the podcast will be the 2020-2021 EPL Devundling Award Spectacular. This is essentially our red carpet show going on right now. And I'll tell you what, the red carpet show is quite a show unto itself because over the course of, uh, of this portion of the program, we've got the Champions League final to get to. We've got an unbelievable case of managerial merry-go-round happening right now. We've already got high-profile signings that are going down. We've got Euro squads, high-profile emissions that need to be addressed. So the red carpet show, it's, it's a, a bear unto itself. And then everyone will file inside and the, uh, the EPL Devonlings will follow to round out your evening this is one of my favorite podcasts of the year
2: yeah we've already had a red carpet incident though pep guardiola is here tonight and as uh, some photographer some paparazzo shouted at him pep 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 what are you wearing what are you wearing except a, a sense
1: of shame at what you've done oh jj's brought jokes wow
2: Don't, don't <laughs> you know do, it
1: uh, you know it's a special evening when jj brings jokes
2: uh yeah ridiculing me already we know it's a regular evening for you when that happens
1: well i'll tell you what i you need to get some of it because i've spent the last week getting all of it when we did the (laughs) podcast last week i genuinely there are times when we'll do a show and i'll have an opinion or something and i'll stand by it but after we stop recording i'll sometimes think to myself "Eh, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hear about that during the week last week when we signed off I was 100% sure that I ate burritos in the normal fashion that the majority of the general public ate them. (laughs) And- Boy, were you wrong. So the the podcast went out and immediately the responses were coming in. What's he doing? Is he a serial killer? People that I'm close friends with, Dan Berenson right away, I've known him for 18 years. I don't know what to do with this information. So right away, um, I knew, oh, like this is- this is not going the way that I actually thought it was going to be going. So then I noticed that. So then I but want to, by budget. the way,
2: I, I haven't told you, there's been people sending videos. Um, I think is one of the, one of the guys, I think it's Atticus sent us a, a video of, of him eating a burrito with his hand. Hmm. Other people have had their lunches. I think Edward had his lunch and, and he made sure it was a burrito eating it with his hands. Yeah. There's been a backlash.
1: So then after that, I, I'm on a few different group texts with some friends. I, I right away went to them. I was like, hey, do you guys eat burritos with your hands or with a knife and fork? Again, still kind of thinking I'm going to be okay here. You know, our, our listeners are, are animals. Who knows what they're capable of? Immediately, the response is, who eats with a burrito with a knife and fork? What's a matter? Please, and then they're like, please don't tell me you're talking about yourself. Yeah. So uh, right then, like, I turned white. I was like, oh, my God, everything that I've thought to be real. Isn't I was like Bruce Willis at the end of the sixth sense, like this started to wash over me. Now here's where you become a bad guy. And in all of this, you need help. Okay. All right? you need, you've revealed yourself to have some issues that need to be dealt with as well. Well, I mean,
2: anyone who listens to this show, knows I have, I have a lot of issues,
1: a lot. your, your need to be right oh, and to oh, punish those oh. who go against you or is, is it's vicious, a problem it's vicious. a problem and i i believe that a therapist could really spend some time working on you
2: well another the, one
1: cle- clearly like the responses came in they were a 100% on your side it was over you won then then you put up a poll as some sort of affirmation to what was already affirmed no then moron when, I, then I put in no. no the res- first of all how dare you address me that way on devonling night no less uh No, you, the responses came in. They all agreed with you. Then the poll went up. So then you could spike the ball again after you knew what the results were going to be, because we had already seen the comments. But then as if that wasn't enough, the results were what? It was something like 93% to 7%. That wasn't good enough for you. Then you attacked the 7% and accused them of being Russian bots. Where does it end with you? This need to be right. You've won. No, that
2: 7% kept you up at night, didn't it? we got to get off the burrito because I spent too much time last week. In fact, your, the antipathy towards your, your, your burrito eating habits was so bad yeah. that it buried the fact that I said Klopp made an error. I didn't get any backlash from the fact that I rinsed Jurgen Klopp, even though he got uh, Liverpool to third spot in the table. So I got away with that. Um, the reason I put the poll up because I wanted to make sure everyone listened to the podcast and I didn't just put up a poll about burritos on the on uh, so I gave it twenty four hours to make sure as many people as possible or as many people over that initial period had listened to it. So look, I I don't hear any more about this. You shouted at me in a restaurant that I was an animal for eating something the correct way. You're the one that should be sorry, sir. You, sir. And as for my desire to be right, I need affirmation in my life constantly. I need to be told I'm a good boy. All right, and uh, and that's why lovely segue into the Champions League. I'm particularly smug about what happened at the weekend
1: let's talk about it in the end jj it is chelsea for the third time in what the last six weeks thomas tuchel gets the best of pep guardiola and
2: there's only like six managers that have beaten guardiola more than three times only six that's insane
1: yeah And, and for Tuchel to have been a mid-season appointment after being cast aside at PSG, it just goes to show that whatever you think of your team, or in some cases, any team at the start of a season, you just don't know. Like you have no idea the way things are going to transpire. What, just, let's just think about Chelsea's season. They start out the season with all these high profile signings and Christian Pulisic has just been named their number 10 and he's going to now lead this team. Well, we're halfway through the season. The manager has been fired. The signings that cost all this money were pretty much unanimously massive disappointments and their number 10 and Pulisic had been battling injuries and was a shell of himself. So like right away, it's like, okay, well, everything I thought about this team is now wrong. So in comes a new manager, and sets the team back on track as more of a defensive style when we thought their defensive approach was going to be the problem for this team this year suddenly you know kai Havertz starts to come into his own and now he scores the goal in their champions league so now you have to start questioning well maybe that signing even with just like a few great moments was worth it if he's the guy who scores their champions league winning goal you know it's just like all these weird things happen over the course of the season that just like Keep you tossing and turning, and this roller coaster ride of what is real and what isn't, with regards to a lot of teams, but Chelsea really no more so. Nobody more than them had this just wild season that ends on top. The wildness was
2: taken out of it 123 days ago. Uh, days ago by um, by Tuka. I'm sorry, he 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 went in there and within the course of a few matches he knew exactly what he wanted to do with this team he knew exactly what his setup would be he would play a, a, a variation a, a three three man defense four in midfield two and then a one sometimes that would change around but that was the core of what what happened after that he would bring in out from the cold Antonio Rudiger who had been sidelined by the previous manager or as N'Golo Kante called him the other manager at the um, on a on Saturday night. Um, this is a triumph for, for, for Tuchel. It's a triumph for organization, Andrew, for management, for having a plan and executing all the way through. And uh, there's a couple of Chelsea fans apologized to me on Saturday night, obviously with a few drinks in them, uh, for going after me because I was so critical Of Thomas, of excuse me, of Frank Lampard beforehand. I couldn't see the plan. I could, I didn't know what he was trying to do. I didn't understand how he was using. Like, look at Timo Werner. Timo Werner had a nice streak, early season streak into the fall, doesn't score against Arsenal, is unceremoniously dropped. Kai Havertz is COVID not used properly, but whatever. Rudiger sidelined, like I said, players in revolt. Players not happy with the way training was going. Players not happy with the tactical information they were being given. This is a triumph of bringing in a manager who knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it in quick, sharp time. And it's an amazing, amazing feat by Thomas Tuchel. It really is. To do what he did in a short period of time is stunning. What was it Arsene Wenger said to me, or he said to all of us? We're a family, aren't we? He said to us uh, before Christmas when we interviewed him about how long you have to, to put a culture and a system in place in, 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 with your football team.
1: Oh, it was a really small number, right?
2: Very small, like yeah. three months, he said, or something like that. And he said, if it's not happening after that, you're failing, forget about it. Look at what Tuchel has done in that period of time. A classic example of what Fenger was talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, winning will always help, right? Like, even yeah, if but how do you
2: win? How do you get to that place? Like, it's not like, all oh, right, they, they had the cup disappointment, definitely. Um, they had the 5-1 reverse where Callum Robinson just ran over them. Uh, or 5-2, or whatever that crazy game was. They had another defeat mixed in there somewhere. But generally, Andrew, they've been so consistent. And you saw the culmination of that on Saturday night. It was it was a really well-planned-out performance. And like you said about him being a defensive manager, well, he went in there and he said, we can't keep leaking the, the amount of goals we're leaking. So he found a way to do it and he found a way quickly. Do they score as many goals as they did under Frank Lampard? No, that's dropped off. But they don't concede as many and they win games. And... um Brilliant planning on Saturday night. I thoroughly enjoyed the game in general and um, oh, Chelsea, Chelsea utterly deserved it.
1: Yeah, I, I really thought so too. Um, let's talk a little bit about the game and some of the big moments from it. We'll, we'll start with the Chelsea side. Um, I know you're, you're patting yourself on your, on the back for your Lampard comments. I'm going to do the same for Angolo Kante, because that was really my key leading up to this was whether or not he was going to be available as he was dealing with an injury and not only was he available, but he was maybe the difference maker in this game. He, he was named man of the match. It was a brilliant performance from him. Um, now, I can't remember who it was that said it, JJ, but I'm going to go back and try to find this. But somebody once said about Angolo Kante that when he's out there, you feel like you're playing with 12 or 13 men at a time. Maybe it was, was Ronieri from back when mm. Kante was with Leicester City. And he was that guy on Saturday in this game. And it was a deserving man of the match performance from him. He had a, a big run that sparked um, a, an opportunity for uh, Timo Werner early on. He seemed to be everywhere, just doing the things that he does, just dis- being that destroyer in midfield and then immediately springing play back the other way. And, you know, the thing with him, he's just this understated born winner. Yeah. Like some guys just are, I saw ESPN FC tweet out in 2014, he debuted in league uh, with Khan. Uh, Then in 2015, he joins Leicester for just 9 million euros, 2016 Premier League winner with Leicester City, Uh, 2017 Premier League winner with Chelsea, 2018 World Cup winner with France, 2019 Europa League winner with Chelsea, and then 2021 Champions League uh, winner with Chelsea. Obviously, it's a team game, but I look at the way he plays, and I look at all those different teams and those competitions that he's won, and I'm sorry, it's not a coincidence. He's a huge part of every single one of those successes. And he was once again over the weekend.
2: Uh, I I don't want to switch to Man City yet, but I was idly thinking over the over the past few days, you know, what if you just Angola Kante turns up to the, the stadium and you put a city jersey on him and you tell him you gotta play for Manchester City now, and you drop Gundigan or you you just swap him out, and you put Kante in there. How much better immediately? Manchester City would have been
1: I mean, Am I wrong for saying City probably win the game?
2: I don't think you are. Um, although I would like to say Rhys James, Chilwell, Rudiger himself. Yeah. Like there was, an, an, and Timo Werner's runs, Kai Havertz play. There was a lot of good things going on there for Chelsea too. But but Kante is so important. And and one thing you, you kind of uh, stepped on there is that he's, not just like this defensive destroyer. Like he just doesn't sit there and break up play. Like he does a lot more. He's often the focal point of the attack. He's often carrying the ball. I think we've seen quite a bit of that this season too. And um, he's just outstanding. And I think he's, if they, if France had won Euro 2016, he would have every major honor, right? I don't think there'd be anything left. It's just, it's, it's amazing to me. He was, he was absolutely outstanding. And, um, and so key to what Chelsea did. I'd also say as well, like organization wise, I loved what Chelsea did because they kind of looked at Manchester City and thought, you know, it wasn't a park the bus performance. It wasn't a smash and grab. But look how they limited Chelsea or excuse me, limited City to, to I mean, nothing, really, really nothing um, to like half chances. And, you know, Maris at the end, that was a decent chance, I suppose. Um, I could have easily gone in the top corner, but generally they control things so well. And, and the use of, of bodies and getting into space and plugging gaps and all that kind of hard work. That's not glamorous or sexy. And then always having that danger of the counter attack, although they didn't create much themselves, that the Pulisic chance was obviously such a big chance. And I was worried. I was so worried then that city are going to Nick something here. And we're going to look back at Pulisic's miss to ice the game. And, all those American thoughts went through my semi-American brain, but but you know I just thought Tuchel set them up so perfectly, and Kante was a huge part of keeping that organized, and it was something that City didn't have.
1: We'll, partic- we'll get we'll get more to, uh, into Pulisic in a moment, um, but uh, talking about his his chance that he missed, boy, Tuchel really handled that with grace and dignity. Oh
2: jeez, I text you immediately. I'm like, oh my I mean, God. are you
1: kidding? Like Tuchel- that that's that is a thing that would not fly. I think over here. Like coaches, coaches reacting that dramatically to when their player doesn't like. Oh,
2: I don't know about that. I've seen Nick Saban like destroy guys coming off the field after a busted play. Like, you know what? I
1: take it back. I I guess you're right. I see
2: nasty stuff. I mean, it's not, I don't, I honestly think I know, I know Tuchel is a high energy character and he's very invested in, in coaching the game but I actually think you should refrain from doing stuff like that.
1: I mean, he dropped to his knees and held his head like they had just lost the game. No, it was like
2: an apparition had appeared in front of him and he was bowing down to it. It was way, way over the top. But uh, I guess in the context of the match, he knew that was the match winner. There's no coming back for for City if we do get that. And I do think Pulisic should have scored.
1: uh, Looking at Manchester City, you know, it's funny because the way the game transpired, once it settled down... Their chances were so few and far between. It felt like, I mean, they had one kind of half chance in the 89th, and then Mares had that opportunity in like the 94th. They had but a before- chance
2: in the in the 68th when Mares centered, and Aspelueta done an amazing job. Yeah, uh, which was which I thought was a, a not a turning point, but a crucial moment because because it's a tap in for Gabriel Jesus who had come on for Kevin De Bruyne. It's a tap in, Andrew. He's going to get there, and uh, Aspelueta does a great job not to turn it into his own net.
1: But until some of those. Like We went through a spell, I thought, where in the first 15 minutes, it was pretty breathless both ways. Werner had a couple chances. He had the one that Mount got to him that he couldn't quite get out from underneath his feet. Um, Sterling and Ford. But Manchester City had a couple as well. Ederson's ball to Raheem Sterling was (laughs) truly a, a sight to behold. And Sterling, look, people will say that his first touch on that pass was a sign that he's not in top form I'll have to, I guess, just agree with the experts on that. It seems difficult to perfectly field a ball that's being hurled at you from like ninety, 90 yards away. Yeah. Um, on the run, like, but I guess you know his first touch was off just enough to allow uh, Reese James to recover, and, and it kind of ended harmlessly. But I mean, really, you know, Antonio Rudiger had his fingerprints all over this game for both good reasons and some maybe questionable reasons. But I'll say this. It's a much different game if he doesn't come in with the last-ditch effort on Phil Foden's attempt on net, uh, because that was a goal. And, you know, for where Foden got it and the direction that it looked like it was coming off his foot when you looked at it on the replay. And Rudiger slides in, and, and he saves that play. Uh, and, you know, for me, it might, uh, the goal aside from Havertz, I think Rudiger making that play on Foden's opportunity was the other biggest play of the game.
2: But that's that, Andrew. Yeah, we've talked about the chances. That's it. This was not your usual, as you like to call it, bing, bang, boom, get to the get to the touchline, cut one back, get a shot on target. It was There was none of that, and uh, Chelsea nullified them. Although, did they, Andrew? And here's where we come to the real question. Who oh nullified what? It's another pep brain overthink in a Champions League game. Um, the anger amongst City fans, online in particular, was palpable confusion we believe and that maybe we saw amongst the players on the field was there I mean you talk about Sterling not controlling the ball I mean he didn't expect to be on the field at that moment there's no way he did and apparently there was surprise and you wonder now well you have lots of things to wonder about with Pep Guardiola but he's done it again
1: JJ remember how angry we used to get with Jurgen Klinsmann when he would like suddenly go to a back three for a gold cup group stage match. And, you know, we'd be sitting here shouting in the podcast, this is what friendlies are for. Why are you doing this in games that matter? You should know your team. You should be playing your yeah." And that was like Uh, a group stage match against Cuba. Cuba.
2: Excuse me. He did that in a world cup qualifier against Mexico in Columbus gold cup, even worse.
1: But like, imagine how we would have reacted if he was doing those things in, Oh, I don't know, like a world cup final. Like, that's essentially <laughs> what Pep is doing here. What, what was the stat that I read? Two times this season, Manchester City played without a defensive midfielder. Twice, yeah. This is not what they do. Yeah. Why is he choosing this moment to come out and do something different than what they've done all season long that's made them such a successful team? Like, that's what frustrates us last year, the year before, the year before that, with Pep and Manchester City in particular, pretty much any time they go out there. Certainly, I would say as great as Chelsea proved themselves to be, they were game competition, no doubt about it, deserved to be their deserving winners, but pretty much every time Man City sets out on the field, they're supposed to win. And so when you're that team, why are you conforming to someone else? Why are you trying to cause some kind of sneak attack but that uh, isn't what your team is accustomed to doing? Play your game. Let other but, teams adjust to you.
2: But I, I agree with you, Andrew. And, and we we said this, and, and to pat ourselves on the back, what did we say in our very short Champions League preview last week? I said, I still think Werner in that left-hand channel can cause problems. And as it turned out, Werner did cause problems. Lots of them. So did Chilwell. So did Havertz. But the answer to that problem, which we saw in the FA Cup, the answer to that is not to get rid of your defensive center mid. That is, it's, it's Pep changing the narrative about himself from deep thinking tactical genius to self-sabotaging obsessive. I, like, how can, it's so, it's, by the way, it was a very good, it was a move that Chelsea had uh, tried a couple of times in that half where they'd ping it out left or right. They'd have invited City onto them. Then they'd play a quick ball to try and get City out of position and it opened up for Mount. Like, Andrew, for a player of
1: Mason Mount's skill, was that a hard pass to make to Kai Havertz? It's, it's very true. Look, it was a great pass. But, but Mason Mount is of a quality where if he can't make that pass, we got a problem. And you can't help but think that you look at Gundogan
2: tracking back. Like, is already going to be there, plugging that gap, because that's the way he's wired. Or Rodri is going to be there, because they'll be tuned into that. And Gundogan is what? Way up the field, involved in, I suppose, trying to press Chelsea and win the ball back high. And they get caught out. You could have parked a yacht. Roman Abramovich's yacht could have sailed through the gap between Zinchenko and, um,
1: was it Diaz or Stones? It doesn't even matter, really. I saw Mark Ogden wrote this about it he said for only the second time this season City played without a defensive midfielder Fernandinho and Rodri were both named as substitutes which meant Ilkay Gundogan who has spent the majority of the season in an attacking midfield role was chosen to fill the void in front of the back four Guardiola would later say quote Ilkay has played that role many times before adding I picked a team to win the game yes that may be true that Ilkay Gundogan has played that role many times before but jj he's never been better than he was this year when not playing that role right so why
2: in the biggest game of the season are you asking him to do something that he hasn't done and like you know pep goes through all these like we know how he is so intense with his coaching moving players into certain position everybody knows their pattern of play why would you destroy disrupt that like why would you disrupt that by changing your attack like so much by putting Sterling in there by which makes Foden do something different why why are you blowing this up like that um, Sam Lee in the Athletic was noting how Pep just and these are his words not mine just can't help himself uh, with these kind of things before big games and and he, he dug out this incredible story when he was managing Bayern right He probably overthought Bayern's 3-2 aggregate win over Benfica in the 15-16 quarterfinals too when he believed the Portuguese side to be so good that he hunched over his laptop for so long analyzing 10 of their previous matches that he put his back out. He He actually injured himself in his computer (laughs) preparation? He hunched over his laptop for Benfica, mind you, for so long analyzing 10 of their previous matches that he put his back out. This is literal paralysis by analysis. Almost. Almost
3: almost. literally.
1: So I've been thinking about- This is where you need someone in life who's close to you, who can like, if like he has a best friend on the staff who can just take him into a room at some point and like literally slap him across the face and say, stop doing this. You're doing it again. Stop. But does he not have that guy? They're all
2: acolytes. We saw on uh, the, the Amazon documentary how there's one amazing bit where they're like away at Everton and he's at the chalkboard and he's going crazy. Like he's, he's moving the left back around, the right back around. He's, he's like doing this interpretive dance of tactics in front of Dominic Domi Torrent and Domi Torrent is just blank. And at the end, Pep goes, you see? And Domi goes, yeah. Just like, okay.
1: Just to get the conversation to stop. What we need is to get Fabian Delft back in that room so we can get back to the basics of football. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm going
2: to take this just a little bit deeper. Um, there's a line from a W.B. Yeats poem, The Second Coming, which I know a lot of people have studied. It's a very dark poem. I don't mean it to be dark. I'm just taking this line. And it reminds me of Pep. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And I always struggled with this because I think of passionate and tense intensity as a good thing. So how are all, why are the best lacking all conviction? Why the worst are full of passionate intensity. Pep needs to be able to accept the work he's done and have trust in the team and play your best team. Like, it's just, it makes no sense to me anymore. And the fact that he defends it like then, and, and I suppose he has to in the, in the, in the post-match press conference, um, I don't know if we have that bit of audio. It doesn't we do. matter. We do. We do. Okay. Uh, this is Pep uh, talking about uh, team selection. Does he have any regrets?
3: I don't know. So, but I, I the decisions I made, the players would have done. They did everything. Always the decision is to, you know, to try to win the game. And, uh the, I think the game was exceptional, being being the first time we were here. So I know the opponent, I know the games against Porto, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. The way we played today, the way we we put him down in the second half. They made one counter-attack, one action. The counterattack with. A, with uh with Pulisic, with Havertz, so long balls to Havertz is so strong. Second balls, they win and run. They are so... is a really good team, but we compete perfectly against them. So it was a tight game. In the second half, we deserve to score one goal. We could not do it. And congratulations, Chelsea.
2: So, I mean, he takes a, a little bit of hesitation at the start to talk about regrets, but honestly, he's... He's pretty. He's sticking to the line that he took in the selection. He's back in this selection yet again. Um, I, 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 don't know. I, I, I wonder at some point does like the dressing room, which seems to have total faith in him, do they lose that when it, when 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 they see him do things like that?
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because, my God, their faith in him has yielded them success that can like barely be dreamed of, um, not in this competition, but in the premier league, uh, in other domestic cup competitions, namely the Carabao cup of which he is the true master. Um, (laughs) like they, they've experienced incredible success with this guy. And he, for what it's worth, he has also experienced champions league success before. Now he's always going to have that messy cloud hanging over him and his inability to take home the trophy without that player. Um, but like this, I don't want this to necessarily change my view of him as a manager. Like he's, his credentials are, are unparalleled. We just talked recently about Gary Neville referring to him as the greatest manager of all time. And that was after their league cup success this year over Tottenham. Um, but these, this is part of the resume, not just these losses in the Champions League, but these losses that are in many ways, unfortunately attributable directly to him you know it's one thing if you have a great if you play a great game um, and you know you, you hit the post a few times chances just go by the wayside but that's not really how he goes out in Champions League games it's decisions that he makes before a ball is kicked that seems like they come back to bite him
2: yeah and and liverpool didn't play well in their Champions League final against tottenham but they played their best 11
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know and i just think that meeting that they had in when was it november december when things were going wrong and they rallied together and they came together as a team and they went on that 21 game winning streak that's just like why can't you just trust the process that brought you to that point why do you have to why do you have to again the passionate intensity i know that taking care with something that you love is a good thing generally, but sometimes there's too much love. There's too much intensity. There's too much overthinking and you need to take a step back and just let it do its thing. And maybe it's because he's a complete control freak and he can't do it.
1: Now, one other element to this, you know, obviously those decisions were made and, and, you know, a lot of what will be happened, but the Kevin De Bruyne injury, certainly matters now again he's another one of these guys who may have been pulled out of his regular position because of what they were doing and wasn't quite as effective but you know early in the game I mentioned the Foden chance it was De Bruyne's run that set that up and his ball that set that up and you know look in a game where Manchester City desperately need a goal I I at least like my chances more so with arguably you know the, the best midfielder in Europe out there for me um in the last 20 minutes of a game than not having him so yeah um We'll never know. I, I ultimately, I, I trust that Chelsea would have gone on and won anyway. But it was unfortunate for De Bruyne to have to go off at that stage in the game in the manner that he did. It was unfortunately, I would say, for me, it, it might be my lasting image from this was him in tears, clearly in in all kinds of pain, for which yeah. we later found out was a, a broken nose and a broken orbital uh, orbital bone.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, it was shocking, and those those kind of tackles don't generally yield those kind of results. Um but that's what happened, and uh, it was it was horrific. And I, I tend to agree with you. As that game wore on, have, you're you're more likely to to get a goal back with Kevin De Bruyne on the field than not. Um, that's for sure. But, Did you think um,
1: that, that was in the wake of that game? There was some talk about the the challenge from Rudiger mm. and whether or not it warranted a red card. Um, I looked at it, and I I've seen it over and over again. I've watched the replay over and over again. I don't think it was.
2: No, I agree with you. The problem is, Andrew, like I said, it's um, I think the fact that it, it had such a shocking outcome is what's kind of conditioning our response to it, mm-hmm. um, because generally that thing happens a lot and a player goes down and he gets up and he might or may not. He may or may not get a free kick. He probably will get a free kick, but the game goes on and there's no big deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Rudiger knew what he was doing. I think yeah, he stayed De Bruyne's way to to put a stop to whatever run was maybe about to go down. But like you said, it it happens all the time. And all it's, the time we see that.
2: Yeah, it's very hard to to legislate for that. But um, the damage that was done was he's just caught him in that area of the face with exactly the right force and exactly the right head angle to do such serious damage that I don't know how he's going to play for Belgium this summer. I, I, I just don't know. Um, because a mask won't be enough to cover that, unless he has unbelievable powers of healing. Um, yeah,
1: oh, that, that's a brutal blow. We're going to have our European Championship group previews, and um, eventually, when we get to Belgium, we'll go deeper on what this could or uh, what this could mean uh, for him in terms of his status for them. Um, back to this game, though, I, I at least want to talk a little bit more about Chelsea um, before we uh, before we move off of this. I wonder, JJ, this run that they've been on under Tuchel, um, this was kind of what we had expected from the get go, which wound up not necessarily being possible under Frank Lampard, but under this manager, it certainly was. And I just wonder this end of season, you know, they lost an FA Cup final, but they did get to an FA Cup final beating Man City en route. They wound up when it didn't look like for much of the season they'd get to uh, to the top four they backed in but sure enough they'll be playing champions league football next season Mm -hmm. and they would have been anyway because they went on to win the champions league over manchester city this was a really impressive second half of the season for them there's no question about it and i just wonder if this is now a sign of things to come are they on the verge essentially of another special era in this club's history
2: well, the errors don't last long, so um, it's 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 very fitting that Chelsea have a manager that comes in halfway, wins a European Cup, so he's done the, the he's 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 peaked already. What do you do when at the start of your journey you you uh, you're at the peak, Andrew? You descend somewhat, and I'd say Tuchel is is very well aware of that. What- well, not
1: you, not to cut you off, but you don't necessarily descend. I mean, Jurgen Klopp's journey with Liverpool began with that champions league and then went to an even greater, even though they didn't win a champions league the following season, it was in many people's eyes, an even greater success with what yeah. did domestically.
2: Yeah. Oh, sure. But I, I think the great success of that, of that season with Klopp was that, yeah, they won the champions league, but look at how they ran city. I mean, in any other season, Liverpool would have been champions that year. And then the following year went back and did it again. Um, and I'm not saying that this won't happen with Chelsea. Uh, I think if Chelsea can figure out their goal scoring issues, which which they have issues. We I mean we saw enough of Timo Werner, and Werner on Saturday night to know that you know he's not. He may not be the the sharp instrument at the at the tip of the spear for this Chelsea attack that he needs to be to win a league. But I think they're going to be now one of the main challengers to Manchester City in the in the forthcoming season. Look at what this manager's done with like hundred and twenty odd days or how many days it it's been. He's going to have a preseason now, Andrew albeit one interrupted by international play somewhat, mm-hmm. but he's going to have a, uh, he's going to have a preseason time to really work on his uh, core principles, etc. cetera. Uh, he might have a new signing. I don't know if he has, but there's been 200 million spent. And a lot of those players have hardly, you know, in, in real terms, they haven't even played that much. Havertz hasn't played that much. Pulisic coming back into things. Um, should he remain at the club? Which I think he will. Uh, and then Timo Werner, maybe finding form. I can being fully fit. Uh, so they have maybe an issue at center back that they need to figure out as well uh, I don't know how much longer Thiago Silva can keep doing what he's doing but um, you might be right this might be the start of something I tend uh, to
1: think it is uh, I tend che- to think it is
2: che- Chelsea don't this might be the start of a glorious two two seasons you know and uh, that might be uh, like Chelsea... if, we're,
1: if we're sitting here you're right two years from now if we're sitting here and they have not won a league in that time I would say something has gone wrong okay all right I, I mean, they did, just they just won a Champions League final, qualified for top four and got to an FA Cup final in a year where, you know, their signings, Werner, Havertz, Pulisic injuries. A lot went wrong this year. And look, at we're still sitting here talking about them beating Manchester City in the Champions League.
2: They have one of the Andrew, I've said I've kept saying this. They have one of the best squads in Europe. There's no question, but they need to hit a level of consistency that the Manchester City and Liverpool in the in the previous two titles hit. And that's hard. That's hard to do that. So we'll see if they can do that.
1: Last bit on this. I said I wanted to mention Pulisic. Uh, I do want to do that before we get out. Look, you know me, JJ, and you experienced a certain amount of this yourself. Like you said, the semi-American brain that you have. I can't quite explain the psyche of an American soccer fan, but I can tell you this: the inferiority complex is real. Uh, because, and I would say for a couple of reasons, I've tried explaining this in the past. It's hard to put my finger on. I think some of it comes down to the fact that we are. In the American domestic sports community, to a certain extent, soccer fans are kind of outcasts. And in the global international soccer community, American soccer fans are also kind of outcasts. So it creates this intense inferiority complex, this togetherness among American fans. And I think this is part of the reason why we as American soccer fans care as much as we do when stuff like this happens. I mean, JJ, I still celebrate October 3rd as a holiday as the day that Swansea City hired Bob Bradley. By the way, we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of that. We should probably get something (laughs) big in the works, some sort of anniversary special. So yes, we celebrate disproportionately when one of, like, quote-unquote, our guys does something that, for American soccer, is unprecedented. Mm. And seeing Pulisic, whose journey it feels like we've been a part of all throughout, I mean, we were doing Boy Wonder Watch back when he was, like, 16 years old, seeing him pick up that trophy while wearing a U.S. soccer sweatshirt was special and, for an and, odd. Soccer fan.
2: and maybe, really, really odd.
1: Maybe, I, but I think for most, I mean, maybe a Chelsea fan found that a little bit odd. I don't know. I think oftentimes in celebrations after games, you see guys with their country's flag draped around yeah, the neck. But, this but was a sweatshirt.
2: He had the crest of us soccer. He, he was very much like um, Rob Lowe in the NFL hat.
1: <laughs> I, but us soccer is like a team that he's a part of. Well, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's funny though, because with Pulisic, you know, we, we've talked a lot this season about his role. Um, you know, things weren't going the way that we had hoped. And while that was still the case, he was not a bit part in this run. I mean, during Chelsea's no. run through the knockout stages, he made seven appearances and had three goal involvements, which doesn't sound like a ton. He had a goal and two assists, but that was tied with Mason Mount for the most goal involvements uh, on Chelsea in that span. So you know, he's, he was a part of this, and that was cool for American soccer fans to see. And what's cool about it with Pulisic is, in particular is that he's not necessarily a guy uh, who wants to be out there and who's just like all over the media grabbing attention, grabbing headlines. Um, but I think he was keenly aware of what this meant. Uh, he said after the game, I hope there's some kids watching back home in America thinking they can do the same. It's massive. This is the biggest thing you can win in club football. I hope that's the case. And I, and I believe that it is. I think that there are people who are now, you know, he's, he's taken his American celebrity to a different level, being able to say that he has now done this and he played in the game and, and was a big part of what Chelsea did this season. Uh, So this was, this was cool. I really, um, you know, I don't necessarily root for Chelsea, just that's how my club alliances lie. But when he, when he took his attempt on goal, JJ, I kind of had that like feeling in my stomach, like, oh, my God, this is this is the moment. And when it went wide, I was genuinely disappointed, which is, again, not a thing I usually say about Chelsea not scoring a goal. So I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. We're all kind of American soccer fans are all kind of wrapped up in what this guy does. And this was this was cool to see.
2: I was in a fairly full bar in Brooklyn. And the the buzz of anticipation when his number was put up and he came onto the field was palpable. It was very nice. I think he's had a good tournament, particularly in the Champions League. And it won't be forgotten in the, in, the, uh, in the story of Chelsea's Champions League win, his role in both legs against Real Madrid to get them to the final. So, um, yep. no, kudos to him.
1: Yep. So there you go. Congratulations to Chelsea uh, and to all the Chelsea supporters out there. I know a lot of you guys listen to this podcast. Um, you guys deserved it. This, was, uh, this wound up being a really fun European run. And like I believe, uh, potentially the start of some really special years for that club. Shall we move on, JJ, Do a few other things before we get to uh, the Devonlings as okay. the crowd is starting to filter in? A few Let's things. do it.
2: we got to zip through it quickly because people are finishing their cocktails.
1: Managerial merry-go-round. It is underway. Zidane out at Real Madrid. Ancelotti in. Um, Zidane clearly, I mean, he, he put a letter to the fans basically in uh, AS, um, the Spanish sports publication, where he basically I mean, there's no mincing words. He says that he is leaving this job because this club does not trust him in the way that he feels he deserves to be trusted. And you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you yeah, know, I, I get that from Zidane's perspective. He's not just some guy at that club. I mean, his history runs deep there. And by the way, his managerial successes do as well, with three consecutive Champions League victories to his name. A league, you know, like he's not just a guy. And if he believes that he should be maybe treated a little bit differently again he didn't use those words I'm paraphrasing I can kind of understand that one off year where they finish second it's not a total disaster they finish second in the league like, is that enough for for the staff to for Florentino Perez to lose trust in him I, I would say that's probably a little bit harsh and if that's what Zidane was feeling um, then I can understand his desire to maybe step away
2: yeah it's uh, it's clearly not the opinion of Marca <laughs> so clearly Florentino has been working the media wheel in Spain. Uh, This is a headline from a piece written by Carlos Gonzalez in Marca. Zidane's second betrayal of Florentino Perez at Real Madrid. So there we go. Mm -hmm. He began showing his gratitude, but then came his second betrayal of the man who was his biggest advocate as head coach of Real Madrid. So that is Florentino Perez firing back. But um, this means that Carlo is... Gone from Goodison, which is a gut punch mm. if you are an Everton fan. I could not believe the pace at which Carlo Ancelotti had tweeted out, "I'm off," pretty much, and announced he was in Real Madrid and join rejoining Real Madrid. Um, it's hard to believe we. It's about it's about what five six months ago, Christmas time, we did a, a little piece um, with uh, Greg Kelly of. Uh, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Greg O'Keefe of The Athletic. And we talked about Everton, the feel-good factor. They were in the top two at the time, I think. It was like Liverpool and Everton. Uh, we talked about how Carlo and his son had settled into the area, how they were doing such a great job. And that is all gone. And, and I mean, there was even some Everton fans that thought Carlo Ancelotti would be the man to bring them to the bramley moore Dock new stadium. And now that won't be happening. It's um I, f- I felt for Everton fans today. that is um, I didn't like the way any of that went down and I and think um, I think Everton fans deserve more than that.
1: And when this happens, JJ, it is usually a reason for me to go to my Everton supporting friends and take the pulse. Oh boy. and the pulse flatlining <laughs> was not in a good place today. Um, Doug, who oh. we've referenced before, uh, he dear Doug. he texted and said, He said, like, I'm actually devastated. We are a laughingstock. Won't be able to keep or attract players. God knows who we hire. The team is dreadful. We really might be relegation candidates next year. Um, He went on and said, it has the very distinct feeling of dating someone who you absolutely know in your heart of hearts is way out of your league, but she swears up and down that none of that matters. And the moment you actually let yourself believe it, she leaves you for the trust fund bro, just like you knew she would all along. That's
3: sad.
2: There's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of pain. And um, and here's the thing. Everton are going to be presented with what kind of manager now? They've never, not really, not lately anyway, have been a club. Apart. The last one was Moyes, where there's this, uh, Moyes came from Preston. There was this up and coming young manager and you take him in and it works. Didn't happen where, with Roberto Martinez. Didn't happen with Ronald Koeman in a similar position. Didn't happen with. Um, oh, what's his name, Andrew? That was at Watford. I forgot this name already. Okay, relegated with Hall ended up at Watford. Um, uh, Silva didn't happen with him. So. You know. If Does this have Eddie Howe written all over it, it has. It has how slash Potter written on it. You know, one of those two. Eddie Howe is not going to Celtic. That broke down over over him him trying to take his managerial or his management staff, coaching staff from from Bournemouth. That's not happening now. So he's not going to Celtic. So that means Eddie Howe was floating around there. And I, I just know Everton fans there. They're rightly impatient, and I, I'm not like it's not like things were great under Carlo Ancelotti. They had they their finished it, tenth. They had their end of season fall off, and yeah. they had the same. Thing that happened last season, where Seamus Coleman came out and said it's not good enough from the players, etc., etc. They had that this season. This time it was Jordan Pickford saying it's not good enough, etc., etc. So there's a little bit of history repeating there. Maybe this wasn't going away, going going the way they wanted it to go anyway with with Ancelotti. But this is this puts them in the realm now of young up and coming manager, and I don't know if they have the patience to go down this road yet again.
1: Maybe, although for what it's worth, you mentioned in Graham Potter there, I don't think that would be the worst thing to
2: have. I'm a I'm a Potterite. I am yeah. a Potterist. I have signed up to the book of Potter, but Andrew, look at the recent record. Everton, you know, I tried to explain to someone today that they said, well, why do Everton deserve to think that they're, you know, in in a team that should be challenging for Europe, etc." Because because they are, because they're looking ahead of them and they're seeing West Ham and Leicester, mm-hmm. clubs who can't come close to the or oh, maybe West Ham can't, actually they can't. The, the historical high point of Everton in the 1980s where they were either second or they were first and they were in winning competitions in Europe and they had one of the best teams in Europe. That, that is a legacy that lives on in Everton. That's where they think they should be. And the fact that they're not there not there, continues to wrangle and they want a manager to take them there. Is a young manager going to do that? I think Graham Potter could do it.
1: Well, but, look, we, we talk all the time about how we're not that far removed from tottenham and everton essentially being on equal footing mm. and you know pochettino it was a good appointment when he was made i think people felt good about it but we didn't know the heights that he was going to take him to he basically turned them into i don't mean to say this in, in glorious terms but a, a super league club you know whether they are or aren't uh, you they're know,
2: not but go on
1: but i'm saying like he got them to a level that they hadn't really experienced sure. before yeah Champions so league who's, final. To say, like, who's to say? that yeah, Potter or some up-and-coming Andrew, manager can't not be saying, that guy
2: for Everton. I'm not doing a who's to say with you. I would give him the job if I'm Everton. What I'm saying is that the supporters aren't going to be overly enthused by this mm-hmm. because you're going from Don Carlo with all his European Cups and his, his resume as long as your arm and his brilliant playing career to Graham Potter, who... We can, we can talk about XG stats all you want, was in a team that played very nice football but didn't score enough goals and only got out of a relegation battle with a month or so to go. That's all I'm saying. Um, and now the pots to spurs thing is back uh, into kind of a weirder territory. I thought it was definitely happening. Now it doesn't seem like it's happening. Although he's told PSG wants to go, according to some sources. It's hard to know what to believe here. I don't know either. I think he does want to go. I think so
1: too. In the beginning, my belief was that he wanted to go, but that he wanted to go to Real Madrid and some of the lines that we were hearing about Tottenham being the, uh, the front runner. I just couldn't help but wonder if that was like trying to get Spurs fans back on side, trying to get people to renew their season tickets because he's still a beloved figure there, even though there's a lot of people who felt like it was time for him to go. He's still beloved. Um, So uh, maybe they they're trying to usher back in some kind of era of good feelings um i don't know i have no clue how this is going to play out right now i got nothing
2: no i don't know either and um, i don't know i i do think he wants to be the head honcho and to have more control of the club like well, he that's wants a, to-
1: that, I, I do wonder what bringing him back would do to the team like he his problem at the end was that he basically said this group this is it we've gone as far as we can go with this group I don't know that Levy believed him it was easier easier to get rid of a manager than to get rid of 15 players so out went Potch in Kane Mourinho for the last gasp Poch was proved right the that last gasp happened the previous season uh, there was nothing left and so if he comes back now I mean some of those guys are certainly still there like
2: there's a but what we're hearing from reports and from Jack Pitbrook is that the mood is very is very good. The mood of hearing about his return has been positive amongst Tottenham players, and um, I think after being under the yoke of Jose Mourinho for the last eighteen months, I can understand why. So let's let's see, but I don't know where it's going to go either.
1: Um, and then Antonio Conte is also now on the market
2: as Inter prepared to just launch a massive fire sale what a disaster like if, if that's the cost of winning a league i wonder i wonder what interfans take more a more stable ownership model rather than this
1: yeah it has a very uh 97 florida marlins feel to it for anybody who's been following baseball long enough to remember that they won a world series and then like immediately got rid of every single player and became the worst team in baseball overnight not saying it's going to be like that for inter but no
2: but they're a lot of their prized assets are are up for sale to kind of make the reductions needed to get this this club uh fiscally sound
1: it's a good question to ask if it's worth it would you take a title for five years of you know mediocrity i think i might I think I might sign up for that. I
2: don't know. Stead That's... the Spurs fan. <laughs> uh,
1: a couple other things quickly. Sergio Aguero has made his move to Barcelona official.
2: He, he has. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure about this. Um, he's great friends with Lionel Messi. Whether they can be a good partnership on the field, I don't know. He's 32 now. I mean, what was the point in getting rid of Suarez when they did? I mean, if you're going to bring in a guy a year later uh with a similar kind of i don't know what his wages are i don't So think-
1: there I, I saw the number i don't remember what it is but i'll tell you this it wasn't much when i saw it i thought oh that's actually quite reasonable i'll see if i can go back and try to find it okay Plus he's coming to them on a free so you know this is who like maybe they're understanding like i get what you're saying the idea of why do this when you're the same club that just got rid of Suarez. Well, maybe this is them kind of realizing a mistake and thinking, okay, maybe we can recreate what Atletico just did with Suarez. Maybe we can recreate that here with Aguero, get him paired up with Messi. This could be the thing that they need to keep Messi on Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, I don't know. And, and I, if you I, can do it on a free, I think it's not the worst.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's nice for them to be reunited. They, have, I mean, they have a good relationship since playing or decent playing relationship. Well, actually I don't know if it's that good of a playing relationship because there's always the problem with Argentina of how do we pair someone with Messi that makes it work, but um, they've been friends for a long, long time. I don't know about it, Andrew. Like, it just seems like a team that's, do you really want to put another player into this side that doesn't run or is going to do less running? It doesn't seem very dynamic to me, but there we go. We'll see. It might work out. It might have a Suarezian effect like Suarez to Atletico.
1: Uh, I don't want to go too deeply into this next one because, like I said, we're going to do some European championship previews, uh, and obviously England will be a big part of that. Um, But, JJ, there was a lot of will he or won't he regarding Trent Alexander-Arnold and the England squad, and in the end, will he?
2: He will. Yes. Um, There will be four right-backs, all the right-backs traveling, um, and um, Gareth Southgate was kind of, not incredulous, but pretending he didn't know where all this talk came from. I say pretending, and I'll I'll tell you why. Uh, This is what he said today. I spoke to Trent three weeks ago. There were stories over the last couple of weeks with lots of strange headlines. I have no idea where they have come from. Now, there was a story broke last night um, or the night before the announcement, depending on what time you're listening, uh, that he wouldn't be in the squad. But, I mean, if Gart's wondering where it came from, this was Southgate in March when he dropped him for the last international break. He misses out this time, but we could quite conceivably be sitting here in the summer and he's with us, which is not a ringing endorsement at all. He could quite conceivably be sitting here in the summer and he's with us. Like if you ask me, have you any dinner plans on Friday? I could quite conceivably have dinner plans. That's so vague. Disconcerting. Maybe I just I just think Southgate did this, brought this upon himself. And I actually I actually wonder. Southgate's saying he's not going to play him as a midfielder. He's going to try him as a right-back first. I think, okay, fine. But, um, yeah, I I, th- I think some of this has been brought upon himself by, by Gareth Southgate. But let's watch this space. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. Four right-backs in the squad. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold was not listed as a midfielder or anything like that. Uh, other omission was Jay Lings, your boy, mm. is not going to make it.
1: Poor James Ward-Prowse as well.
2: Yep. Free kick specialist, James (laughs) Ward-Prowse.
1: It really is. What Mm. a weapon that would be.
2: I mean, if there's one place they might be thin, it's center midfield.
1: Well, they're bringing
2: uh, Jordan Henderson. Calvin Phillips, Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice. You know, there's two guys in there that have injuries already coming off the back injuries. So Declan Rice is one. Jordan Henderson hasn't played very much. Those are good players, but Lampard and Gerrard, it is not. No, but that never even worked anyway. True. Good point. Anyway, we'll have more time to talk about this in our forthcoming previews.
1: And last but not least, JJ. Oh, yeah, that's right. By the way, the U.S. men had a friendly against Switzerland the other day that did not go particularly well. Hmm. Um, We'll have more on the U.S. later this week. We're probably not going to say definitely. Relax, everyone. But probably going to have... A um a podcast following the U.S. and Honduras in the Concacaf Nations League semifinals. So we'll talk more about them there. Um, uh, just a couple of quick notes on them. Um, I don't really have too many red flags. Some people do. A lot of people are really getting on Greg Bearhalter, um over this. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not there with friendlies to to kind of slip into the, that. That was something that you conditioned me. Correctly, I would say over the Thank years you. that we've done this together to not be like that. Following friendlies, oh, you're welcome. So, like some people, I mean, look for some people, he's been on the hot seat since the day he was hired. Yes, uh, I get it to a certain extent. You know the circumstances of his hiring. Some people thought that nepotism was involved. That they they could have gone for a bigger name. I don't know exactly, but I, I haven't really had that approach with him. I've kind of I'm kind of willing to give him my full support until i feel that he's you know worn that out uh and i'm just i'm just not there yet it's funny because like people continuously want to hold it against him that he he keeps going back to sebastian leget legit scored five goals in his last six appearances for the u.s so the jet's never
2: not good when he pulls on his uh his nation's shirt and it's i kind think of, it's
1: kind of working
2: yeah that I, part i i really think is is dangerous to to go down a road that sometimes I stray down where I'm like, God, have we, have we not got someone playing for a, a team in Europe that could play there, you know, and we do, but legit doesn't let, never lets him down. And he's technically a, a good player. So um, off the back of this one, Andrew, just a couple of things. Um, I know, I know you've got things to say, but I'll, I'll get through mine quickly. <clears throat> there are things to be sorted out in that midfield. I didn't think Jackson, Ewell looked particularly good, particularly when he was asked to do defensive jobs. So at six, there's a question. Um, I have concerns about John Brooks getting pulled out of position, um, which happened a couple of times. <clears throat> Excuse me, in particular with Mbolo. There was the incident with Mbolo um, where he was isolated, pulled out of the center, and he was just left in his wake. Now, Switzerland are a good side. They are, right. a, they are a tough team to play against. Ireland played against them in qualification uh, for, Europe, for the European Championships. They are a good side. Um, and look, we were not great. There was a little bit of tiredness. There was a few mistakes crept into the game. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I don't want to freak out about a result in a friendly like this. It was 2-1. Okay. It wasn't a great performance. Uh, as Grant Wall uh, pointed out, when John Brooks is positionally pulled out and also when he leaves the field, the U.S. have problems in both scenarios there. Um, so look, not great. Uh, but I'm not going to get too excited about it yet. Um, yeah, we got a competitive game coming up soon. So
1: yeah, there we go. The only two things that I'll say about this before we move on, um, with regards to John Brooks, I get the sense they didn't have Tyler Adams. He's dealing with a back injury. Um,
2: really, really tricky one too. Yeah, so
1: like. I don't know what his availability will be moving forward, but I do think not having him hurts as you would expect he's a very good player and yeah, you know, i think he he does provide some cover for that back line um i wonder if maybe Bearhalter almost wanted to expose john brooks at times and see okay is he can he be our ruben diaz like a guy who we can leave a little bit on an island and, and allow our players to bomb forward because we have this guy at the back who can do those things and maybe we're finding out brooks is really good maybe he's not quite to the level they were hoping him to
2: be. And you make a good point if he's going to be operating on the same side as Sergio Dest, he can expect to be oh yeah. And that and that's where you would like a number 6 maybe in the Liverpool style who can slide in and make sure the fullback position is covered even if Dest is caught
1: high up the field. But um yeah, not great. Just right. overall not great. The the last thing I'll say on it and it's going to be something that we keep an eye on for CONCACAF Nations League certainly. Um we all like Josh Sargent and we all think that there's a really good player in there and we all want to see him succeed desperately. He's part of this young youth movement for the U S he's coming along at the same time. He's the same age as a lot of these guys. And we want it to work with all these guys. Um, but at some point it is fair to ask questions. You know, he's not scoring a ton of goals at, his, at club level. He's not scoring goals really at international level, you know, and, and we do make, you know, some excuses for him. Sometimes they're valid. You know, Berter Bremen is not a very good team. Um, you know, the U S at times has been in their feeling out mode of how they want to play and and all that. So, you know, I get it, but at a certain point he's got to score goals. It's his job as their, their center forward, as their attack, as their further up the field attacking player. So um, like no, no alarm bells, not panicking, but like soon, soon, like he's got to start scoring goals or at least being some kind of major playmaker and attack for them. Um, Cause we haven't seen a ton of it. And at some point potential turns into results. And if we're not seeing results, it's going to be someone else's turn. So That's... just, just a little thing to keep an eye on. Not nothing major, not at this point.
2: Yeah. Another thing to keep an eye on is that the auditorium is now full. People have filed in for the Devonlings. We got to go
1: let's do this let's take a break when we come back jj we finally put to bed the 2020 2021 club season with our epl devundling award spectacular don't go anywhere live from the grand ballroom at caught off side towers it's the annual epl devundling award spectacular now your hosts andrew gunling and jj devaney yes thank you thank you all oh, you beautiful people thank you so much jj and i are truly honored and privileged to be here this evening what fun this is going to be my friend
2: uh, andrew great fun i told you not to invite mel gixon keep doing it he's not supposed to be here He's a controversial thing.
1: Uh there's a lot of great great audience members here tonight the the glitterati of the soccer community is is here among us it's uh, it's a beautiful thing JJ and we should get right into it we've got all kinds of awards that we're going to go through uh from over the course of the Premier League season um relive a lot of great moments it's going to be fun let's start though let's start JJ with the leading men we'll come right out of the gate with one of the one of the really big awards of the evening are you ready for this
2: i am i am let's do it
1: All right, our first Devonling to hand out tonight is for the manager of the season. Would you like to go first?
2: Oh, I'd be honored as I open my envelope. Marcello Bielsa. Mm. For Leeds to finish ninth in their first season back is an incredible achievement. For Bielsa to do this playing his style of football with these players, remarkable. Remember all those wise men who said he had to adapt mid-season after shipping six goals at Old Trafford? Not a chance. Leeds continue to play harder, run faster and further than seemingly anyone else. From the 4-3 in their first game at Anfield to the late win at Manchester City, they've been by far the best team to watch in a season where so much of the league was rendered unwatchable by COVID restrictions and zero fans in the stands. Did they buy a player or two? Yes, Rafinha's been good. But this is the core of the team that won the championship, Andrew. Names like Bamford, Harrison, Ailing, and Dallas. Talk about getting the best out of the players you have at your disposal. And this quote sums up Bielsa's Leeds. And he said this back in, I think, January or February. He said, if you finish eighth by not playing well, for me, it's worse than finishing 12th by playing well. They played well. They were a joy. Everybody's neutral team until their fans get back. Leeds United.
1: That is a, gr- it's a great call. Um, I won't really argue it, except I will. For this person who I have selected as my manager of the season, JJ, David Moyes, who would have thought we'd be sitting here saying that for a guy whose stock had just plummeted. And he's back now atop my managerial pyramid. That's right. Number one in the league this season. This team for West Ham, 16th a year ago, got them up to sixth this season. They were battling for Champions League contention. Incredible. 39 points a year ago, 65 points this season. West Ham set club records this year for point total. Goal difference. Away wins. 62 goals scored this season. Not bad for a club that really only has one true center forward in Mikel Antonio. 62 goals for them. That's more than Chelsea. Arsenal the same number as like you just mentioned all out attacking Leeds United Um, and one thing that I think really spoke to what they were about the season across all competitions they only lost two games in a row one time the whole year so this was a team that never allowed any bad situation to snowball and I think oftentimes that is something that I attribute to the leadership of a manager and now he takes them into Europe it's not the Champions League but still West Ham and the Europa League it could be a fun ride for them there as well so David Moyes congratulations you are my manager of the season
2: worthy choice my friend
1: we continue now match of the season this is one of the glamour awards of the night jj i will go first here may 7th the king power leicester city looking to solidify their hopes of a top four finish newcastle looking to assure themselves of a stress-free finish to the season what ensued was pretty shocking
4: (laughs) Will the Champions League music be playing here at the King Power next season? Could Newcastle conceivably still drop into the championship? We should get a few answers over the next couple of hours. Hesitation by Soyuncu and Willock was there to pounce, what a chance again! And this time they take it and there is a header from Dummets and what about the Wilson is in, it's scored, 3-0, here is Wilson again, oh, denied by the post, what a brilliant follow-up, Newcastle, a four-goal lead. Iheanacho leaves it, that was clever, that is a brilliant goal for Mark Albrighton. Iheanacho... Oh. Leicester are going to make it an interesting finish it's all over very entertaining game Brendan Rodgers though will be disappointed with large elements of it but Newcastle have surely done enough now to confirm their Premier League status for next season Leicester 2 Newcastle 4
3: Andrew
2: Andrew it, it, it gave us some things we haven't seen this season uh lester all right they've been beaten at home a lot but Leicester really put to the sword and they smug steve bruce and 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 i i think that was the game that was the winnable one that would have booked Leicester's place in the champions league had they got three points and they yeah. blew it
1: it was one of the reasons that i picked it is because of just the way it shaped two seasons mm. um you know like you said i i wholeheartedly agree with what you just said there. I think if they can look back this season, I'm sure they had other wins that maybe sure. you know were, were more, more heartbreaking that came down to the wire, but I think that's the one where they think how, how, how were we down four nil at one point to that team? And obviously for Newcastle, that was the day that they kind of could, could finally breathe. And uh, I don't think it, it didn't make it official that they were staying up, but I think at that point it was essentially an inevitability. So uh, yeah, four, two Newcastle, over Leicester City at the King Power. And now yours, my friend.
2: My match of the season, Andrew. West Ham 3, Tottenham 3. We go back to October. This will go down as one of the great West Ham victories over Tottenham that wasn't even a victory. And it, it played out a little bit like this.
0: Well, no one here was screaming for a break. Tottenham and West Ham were rolling. Now, can they pick it up again? Great ball from Kane Son, who scores 45 seconds. It's Harry Kane, two nilts on them. And Reguilon, and Kane. We've played barely a quarter of an hour. And Spurs are ripping it up. In by Creswell, that's a good header. And West Ham do have a goal back. Oh, they have another one. It's an own goal, and West Ham are winning one. What about this? Taken away by Wiggs. Let's see, Sensational hit! Sensational climax to a sensational game! And West Ham will take a point away with them! Never think you know, never think it's over. Never write the script before it's written for you.
2: Oh, that Lanzini strike, Andrew. Have you have you ever seen the ball go right in the postage stand? Just in the load there's no chance even a keeper as good as Ugi Lloris can get to that.
1: What a finish to the well, game. Well, that's the thing about it is where he placed it was exactly where he needed to, because Loris did get a hand to it. Uh, but if it was any more centralized than where it was, Loris probably gets enough of a hand that he keeps it out. But instead the, the pace that was on it and where he placed it, it was, it was one of the goals of the season. I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's not going to be my choice, but I wouldn't fault anyone who made it theirs just for the drama of it and the manner in which he scored it, um, boy, that was, that was an unbelievable game. I mean, for them to be down three 0 in the 82nd minute, you heard in the call there. I mean, even, you know, the announcers, like after the first goal went in, it was sort of just like a, okay, well, this is just, you know, this will peter out West Ham do get one back. La di, da di da. Who knew? Who but Balbuena,
2: knew? Balbuena didn't even bother like with uh, you know, a huge celebration. He just kind of scratched his head after he scored the header blessed himself and went back to the halfway line.
1: And you know, the, the interesting thing too, JJ, right before the Lanzini goal, we, we forget now, but going back and watching the highlights, Gareth Bale had a brilliant move and he got himself into a position where he was pretty much one-on-one with the keeper. Now he had just made a few moves to get to that spot and there was defenders near him, but ultimately oh, he a, should have scored that. it's one. a it was, moment where he's got a score. It, and,
2: was, it was such a good run.
1: Yeah. And you didn't think right away. You're like, oh, that would have been cool. You didn't actually think that they needed it. I mean, it was in like the 92nd, 93rd minute when it happened. And then West Ham came right back down the other way. That was, yeah, that was unforgettable. What a game that was. All right. We continue now, JJ, the evening progresses, the signing of the season. Would you like to go first?
2: I'd love to go first. Um, we're staying with West Ham United, Vladimir Soufal. Um, this is a signing Andrew that ticks all the boxes. He's been superb at right back for West Ham. Seven assists this season. According to FB Ref, which I know you love, he finds himself in the 90 percentile for assists per minute across Europe's uh, big five leagues or five big leagues. Uh, No fullback duo assisted more goals in the 2021 Premier League season than Aaron Cresswell and Sufal. Soufal has been a virtual ever-present for West Ham since signing in October and key to their charge up the table. And he cost West Ham United just $5 million. Mm. That, to me... Now, I don't know what the add-ons are. they have got to be add-ons that will go to Slavia Prague. But what a signing. An absolute genius signing. Um, and the two Czech players, Suchek and Soufal, so important to West Ham. But uh, $5 million for a guy that's going to give you that amount of production and be a mean defender too. Absolutely brilliant bit of work and bit of business from West Ham, which is not something we usually say.
1: JJ, I'll tell you what. We uh, there is a development going on right now tonight's Devonlings that is nothing short of stunning. I mean, they are turning West Ham right now at this point in the evening is turning into uh, for, for lack of a better comparison, they are the shit's creek of the night because for my signing of the season, JJ, there were a lot of good ones. The one you just mentioned, certainly Ruben Diaz at Man City, Rafinha uh, at Leeds, Fafana uh, was another one that I considered. But in the end, I went with a teammate of the player that you just mentioned, West Ham. We stayed with them again. My signing of the season, it was a lone move. So if you want to put an asterisk on it, go ahead. But JJ, I went with Jesse Lingard. Jay Lings as my signing of the season. It was a Hail Mary move. I mean, really kind of like a bit of an afterthought, a player who had fallen out of favor for club and country and this is a guy who in his last two years at manchester united combined to score a total of five goals and two assists in league play a total of that and then in less than half the season at west ham nine goals four assists his goals per 90 0.57 was the highest of his career and seventh best in the league this season of anybody we spoke last week about Louis Suarez's goals coming in key moments. Similarly, you can say the same about Lingard. Nine goals were spread across seven games. Five of those came in key wins. One was a draw. Only one was a loss. And in the loss, his goal was almost massive. He scored a penalty that tied it in the 80th, but then Joe Willock scored two minutes later in the 82nd. But all in all, for a player that just kind of came over on Leeds as a bit of a, uh, on, on a, tra- on a loan, as a bit of an afterthought for what Jesse Lingard turned out to be almost played his way back onto the England team. I mean, who would have thought we'd be saying that from January to now incredible what he did there. And that is why he's my signing of the season.
2: And, and you love him. He's, he's your new Charlie Adam. He's that guy. You just love him as
1: a player. <laughs> I do, I really, I really came to enjoy him and I'm so curious what happens now because it seems like he wants to stay there but Manchester United now, uh, there's been talk about them wanting to bring him back after they saw what he just did. So he'll, his will be an interesting case uh, this summer to see where he goes next. All right, with the good, there is always bad. Worst signing of the season. Uh, can I go first here? You may. All right, JJ. This one, I don't like what I'm about to do here but I will do it anyway and I'm going with Donny Van de Beek. Of Manchester United and I I say that because it's a shame because it's a player that I I really like and I feel like I'm kind of smearing his name by giving him this award Um, I just sort of feel like the wrong team signed him and I think we said that you and I both said that in real time when they did sign him it just kind of felt like they didn't have really a need or a position for him it felt a little bit like they didn't get Jaden Sancho so they kind of wanted to still do something relatively splashy and they they kind of just made this panic buy for Van de Beek they put down a a little over 35 million pounds to get him and sure enough all of the concerns that we had came to fruition he didn't really have a place on this team started just four games in the league bunch of substitution appearances but only one goal one assist to speak of Started only three games in the Champions League. Then they get to the Europa League. You think, okay, maybe there will be some places for him to play there. Only one start in the Europa League. He was really just a complete and total non-factor this season. Now he did make a nice last impression with his performance against Wolves. So uh, that's the that's the reason that I kind of put an asterisk here because I, I do think that he's he's still a good player and you know he's young enough where there is still hope for him. But in terms of this season, uh, for whatever hope you might have had that his positive momentum that he had developed at Ajax would continue. It, it didn't, it, it has stalled. And so we'll see now if he can get it going again uh, next season. But yeah, that was Donnie van de Beek was, that was disappointing to me, the signing for him. Cause I, I really like him as a player and we just didn't, didn't get to see it this year.
2: Yeah. I thought it was shameful that he's on the sideline uh, in Gdansk for United and Villarreal and he, he's just in his tracksuit and there's no danger. He's coming on. Yeah. It's just terrible. When you think two years ago he was scoring against Real Madrid in the Champions League. it, it Awful. And, and I do think that United should have brought him on. I mean, you're telling me he can't give you anything? Yeah. It's Crazy. Very,
1: very strange. The, the whole signing in the first place was just odd to me. So there you go. What do you have?
2: Uh, my worst signing of the season, Rian Brewster, mm. Sheffield United. Sheffield United paid Liverpool $24 million for a striker. They needed goals. He did not score. They got relegated. It was too much to ask of a 20 year old who had not played top flight football for any length of time, but they made that transfer and it did not work out this season. At least now he is 21, just turned 21. Um, I think he, he can still have a great career, but that was a massive investment. It was a roll of the dice and it did not work at all. No goals, nothing. And at one point he didn't even start games. So Sheffield United had a terrible season and um, I think that signing was uh, symptomatic of their problems. Um, very poor. Just just bad. And also word to the wise to clubs Bournemouth I'm thinking of in particular who are willing to take on Liverpool strikers who are young Liverpool strikers who just don't seem to be making the cut at Liverpool. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be working out for either Bournemouth and now that uh, seems to apply anyway in the medium term to re Brewster
1: can't argue with that so I won't try um, and we go from that now JJ this is one of my favorite portions of the night uh, it is you know a lot of people make predictions on their preview podcasts and shows and then they just sort of disappear into the ether no one really keeps score remembers what's right what's wrong we keep score all right I have everything here from our preseason predictions Ugh. are you ready to see how dumb or smart we were go on all right, manager of the year preseason, I said Marcelo Bielsa. You said Jurgen Klopp.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Well, we don't know yet. Uh, is the is the easy thing to say, but we know that what? Marcelo Bielsa has has been nominated. So, there we go.
1: Uh, for top scorer, it's funny. You and I both had the same person, and we were both horribly wrong. We both said wrong. Yeah, we both said Aubameyang. And uh, yeah. No, that was, that was a mistake. All right. For our player of the years, uh, you said you, you in classic JJ fashion, couldn't make up your mind. So you said both Kevin De Bruyne and Trent Alexander Arnold, De Bruyne, you weren't crazy. Alexander Arnold did not have that kind of year. He took a a little bit of a step back. I said Mm. Raheem Sterling, um, also quite wrong. Another player who dreadful,
2: dreadful decision uh, by you.
1: Also took a bit of a step back this year for our top four in order or not in order. I'm sorry. Um, So, Going from 4-3-2-1, uh, I said Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City. So I, I had the four, just not in the right order, but I did have my champion correct in Manchester City. You said Chelsea, Man United, Man City, and you had Liverpool winning the title. Mm. So I will uh, I will take the win there. Okay. Relegation, uh, you had West Brom, Fulham, and this was your big L that you took. West Ham was your other relegation team uh I like you had West Brom and Fulham but I had Crystal Palace uh, okay. I'll take a, a smaller L not quite the the large capital you've taken L so
2: many L's up. in the past week just take not, a small one tonight. but
1: not not so far on these predictions I'm feeling feeling all right uh for the player that needed to have a big season you said uh, David De Gea because you felt like his job could be on the line if he didn't, and I think that was that was a decent prediction. Got it right. Yeah, uh, and I said Adama Traore because I didn't think Wolves would take a step forward if he didn't take a step forward as well, and I feel decent about that. It seemed like he Poor. he had moments, but it was not his trajectory was headed in a higher direction than certainly what we saw this year. So I think we both did well there. All right, this is a big one here, JJ. The team poised to make the biggest move up the table. Uh, you said Wolves. You were very bullish on Wolves. In the end, well, you didn't just say Wolves, actually. What am I talking about? In Again, in classic JJ fashion, you listed four teams. Uh, you said Wolves, they dropped from 7th to 13th, so okay. that did not go well. You said Southampton, who dropped from 11th to 15th, didn't go well. You said mm-hmm. Everton who went from 12th to 10th, not a big move up the table. And then if I was going to give you a, a W here, I'll give it to your, your fourth pick. And that was Aston Villa who went from 17 to 11, Thank but you. it was a good se- 11 doesn't quite do it justice. It was a good season for Villa. Um, I was your, like what you were for wolves. That was me with West ham. They were my team to make the biggest move up the table. And I, in the end they did literally 16th to sixth. So I, uh, I will take the W. Our dark horse teams, again, JJ Wolves. disaster. Well, you just went all in and sometimes Ugh. going all in, it, it can backfire. I said Everton. Uh, so that looked good for a little while. And then as the season progressed, that, that faded Uh manager entering the season on the hottest seat. Uh, I said Solskjaer, which was kind of right. He had moments where maybe he was flirting with it, but he, like we said, every time he gets to the brink, he pulls himself back. And you said David Moyes. Oof.
2: I was on a hot,
1: I mean, that's not, that wasn't inaccurate. But he, a, it he, was a he, terrible, terrible decision he, to go with him. He, he took himself off the hot seat is the point. Really a rough call by you. And then last <laughs> but not least, the players that we were most excited about heading into the season. Um, yours Anthony was
2: interesting. Robinson.
1: I said Anthony Robinson, but that was purely for selfish motives. I was just happy to have an American player in the Premier League, another American player in the Premier League. That was kind of just putting it out there for everyone. Remember, this guy's here now. And you said Thomas Rodriguez.
2: Yeah, and for a it was while- It an interesting he, one
1: for a while not bad yeah Yeah, i agree the problem with him was kind of what we said it might be and that was could he stay healthy could he give them a full season and that was that was an issue um so yeah those were our preseason predictions. You can all judge for yourself how you think we did. All right, we continue now, JJ, with the biggest surprise of the season. You want to go first? Yeah, I will. Uh, John
2: Stones of Manchester City. Uh, think back, if you can, to the visit of John Stones and City to Cairo Road to play in Norwich in September of 2019. The Stones and Otamendi comedy hour. If you got to see <laughs> Stones... At all that season, you probably thought this was his time up at Manchester City. Rarely started, and when he did, it often was marked with a mistake. This season has seen a remarkable turnaround. He had to seize his opportunity. He didn't start from the beginning to play alongside uh, Ruben Diaz. Uh, It happened in November when Emerick Laporte was dropped, and Stones hasn't looked back since. Uh, City's unbeaten 21-game streak had Stones as a key man in the side. Uh, Sam Lee reported that City were ready to let him go last summer. Uh, His form has been a massive surprise. A lot of reports have talked about how he's he's sorted out certain off-the-field issues in his personal life. He's seen a sports psychologist. All that has gone into him starting in the Champions League final for Manchester City and just generally having a very good season and coming back from the brink to be a starter at the best team
1: in England. So, John Stones, a surprise. That's a good one. That's a good one. I didn't really consider that one, but I think that one was pretty good. Uh, for mine, JJ, so I, I approached this from a few angles. First, I was thinking about the player perspective, and I kind of was thinking about Patrick Bamford, 17 goals, 7 assists. Um, for a player that I think a lot of people thought was championship quality, didn't yeah, go that route. Me that, included. Yeah, then I thought, okay, what was there a particular match that was most surprising to me? I, I kind of thought about Aston Villa 7-2 over Liverpool. Kept thinking from a managerial perspective, Pep Guardiola's turnaround. I mean, you know, we, we, they won five of their first 12. I mean, it looked like kind of the end of an era Um, and they turned it around. And then like, who would have thought back in December that they were going to not only win the title, but do so without a a challenger anywhere in sight. Uh, So I I thought about those things, but then I kind of was like, wait a minute, like the surprise of the season, how how about like, there can really only be one answer for me. And that was um, a, a fairly nondescript afternoon, April 18th kind of just so dilly-dallying around the house, checking Twitter. Oh, what's this tweet? Wait, wait, what is this? What is What am I looking at here? Oh, a European Super League, six Premier League teams, essentially bolting UEFA for their own competition. Is this the death of the Champions League? Is this the death of the Premier League as we know it? Now, fortunately, grassroots uprisings and uh, from outraged supporters and death penalty threats, basically, from UEFA saw the league collapse within 48 hours. But for a time there, JJ, we were of the belief that we were staring down a future that included Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, and Man City not playing club football in the English Premier League and the Champions League essentially no longer existing as we currently know it. It was one of the craziest days the sport has ever seen and to call it a surprise is almost not doing it justice but for me seeing that tweet and just thinking about what the future had in store for soccer in the Premier League and really globally uh, that was for me the biggest surprise of the season. Fortunately, it, was st- it, uh,
2: a stunning surprise.
1: Yeah. Fortunately, it had a happy ending, but for now, for now, but yes. Uh, all right. Goal of the season. Um, I'm going to go first here. We go back to March 14th at the Emirates in North London. It was a fascinating day for Eric Lamella. Didn't start the game, came on as a sub for an injured Sun Hyung-min in the 19th minute, scored in the 33rd, picked up a yellow in the 69th, got sent off with a second one in the 76th, but in the process of this up-and-down afternoon was a goal that we will be seeing highlights of for years to come. Eric Lamella, my goal of the season. Here it is.
0: Yellow, screaming for it in the backside of the... Uh... Penalty area, here he is, first eye ball in, Lucas, nice touch, Lamella, oh goodness, what's a goal,
4: is that a Rabona? You know, I see 40 yarders and I see people scoring from the halfway line, I see people beating
0: five players and scoring. I don't yeah. see too many of them. What a bit of skill, absolutely brilliant, he's got a bend on it, into the far corner, an astonishing goal. You know, even I was like, Wow. And it was against Arsenal, against Tottenham, where it'd have to be special for me to say, wow, if a Tottenham player scored. And it was a wow factor.
2: Ah, yes, the Rabona. Uh, Lamella will be forever tied to that Rabona as he scored it um, in the Europa League and in the Premier League in a a North London derby. Uh, My goal of the season, Andrew, Mo Salah for Liverpool versus West Ham. London Stadium, January 31st in the 68th minute. The long pass from Trent Alexander-Arnold, the first-time looping cross from Shik- from Shichiri on the run, and the instant control and finish from Salah. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, my goal of the season. Alexander-Arnold
0: thumps the ball crossfield. What a ball that is! Great switch of play from Trent into the space. And here, I'm expecting Shakiri to take a touch, maybe take another touch. All of a sudden, he sees this run of Mo Salah's. Shakiri
4: goes first time towards Salah. What a goal this would
0: be! When the ball just bounces in front of you, on your weak foot, and you've got to take such a tight touch and then sort your feet out to flick it with your left. Touch and flick. Yeah. It's sublime.
4: Oh, it's sensational! Counter-attacking football at its very best.
0: Sublime.
1: It's a great goal. I remember that pass from Cheery in the, the, the lead-up was kind of like, oh. the, wait, what's he doing? Oh, my God, wait, it's actually perfect.
2: And then the first touch. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, great. absolutely beautiful. And, and uh, yeah, I can watch that one over and over again. In fact, Liverpool have been putting up uh, highlights of the season um, across their social media, and i have been enjoying that
1: goal just today, actually. Uh, let's see. Yeah, those both great goals there, good choices. Um, moment of the season, JJ, as we uh, are now into our final three awards here. Moment of the season. You and I actually, I believe, have the same one. Do we not?
2: We do indeed. It's Allison in the last header of the game, the last kick of the game versus West Brom to clinch uh, for Liverpool. Well, not to clinch, to keep no. them in the battle.
0: Yeah.
2: I suppose in a season where the league and relegation was decided well before the final few weeks of the campaign, top four was the only race in town and uh, a last header of the game winner from a goalkeeper meant that Liverpool would go to the final day of the season only needing a win to secure their spot in Europe's big time oh and it absolutely disgusted Sam Allardyce who said I think Jurgen Klopp knows he's gotten away with one so that is just makes it even more worth it here is Alisson sickening Allardyce curled in right footed
0: in the top four when you think you've seen it all in the premier league allison scores a winning goal absolutely extraordinary
1: oh we continue now jj the final two awards now the best 11 uh, where we name our basically our team of the season Uh, i'll go first here from back to front goalkeeper emiliano martinez third most saves uh two uh he was second uh, for highest save percentage third most clean sheets fourth in passes completed longer than 40 yards as well so he could spring play forward in addition to being a great shot stopper in uh, defense i had luke shaw ruben Diaz, wesley fafana and joe Cancelo. my midfield i went with okay gundawan mason mount and kevin de bruyne and then up front in attack harry kane mo Salah, and phil foden uh, and some of the players that it, it hurt me to not include: um, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, uh, Vladimir Kufal, Thomas Suchek, N'Golo Conte, Rafinha, and Patrick Bamford. Those were kind of the ones who just missed the cut. I feel good about that team, though. I think that team would. I think that team would win some games.
2: I have a team that's going to beat that team. Oh. Uh, my team of the season will play three, four, two, one, hmm. as a nod to Thomas Tuchel, uh, Allison in goal. Um, not a great not a great season for Liverpool, but let me tell you, in big moments, Alisson came up big, uh, and especially down the stretch on their run to qualifying for the Champions League. I've picked three centre-backs who are right-footed. So this is a team that is obviously not 100% serious, but uh, Ruben Diaz and John Stones, I couldn't separate them. And I have Antonio Rudiger in alongside them. I think Rudiger's second half of the season when he came in from the ice-cold, Gulag, where Frank Lampard had been storing him. What a performance he has had, and he's been, he's been excellent for them. Uh, in midfield, I have Suchek and Kante. So the London Alliance. Um, on the right-hand side, uh, wing-back position, Trent Alexander-Arnold, which is going to get me absolutely crushed. But the bottom line is that outside of two midfielders, Outside of Kevin De Bruyne, De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the biggest one of the biggest uh, big-chance creators in the Premier League, still, even in a bad season. I'm not leaving him out. I shall not, shall not even contemplate it like Gareth Southgate. Stuart Dallas of Leeds United on the left-hand side, who's proven his worth, that winner, uh, l- that lung-busting winner uh, at Manchester City is very much... Uh, Etched in my mind And he played every minute of every game I think Pretty much uh, Then Bruno Fernandes And Mason Mount Will be the two Who will sit in behind Mohamed Salah And that is my team Of the season
0: Hmm Hmm, hmm.
2: Yeah I'm gonna get I put three Liverpool players in So I'm gonna get crushed for that And probably going to get some hatred for only having one Manchester United player in there but they're not that good so I'm I'm fine with it.
1: Wow. Well all right JJ, we move now to the final award of the evening, the Jordan Henderson Award for Player of the Season. <laughs> I will go first here. Uh if you're going to get some hate for your Liverpool inclusions then I might potentially get some with this. I went with Harry Kane i went with harry kane starting with the numbers here uh he led the Premier league in goals of course with 23 and in assists with 14 led the Premier league in non-penalty goals with 19 second in goals per 90 uh you know who was first by the way in goals per 90 minutes how about Kalechi ianacho good for him if we had a most improved player award maybe we'll include that next year he might have he might have been it but at any rate i i, I digress um Kane was the only player in the Premier League whose goals plus assists per 90 was over one per game he was 1.08 Bruno Fernandes was next at 0.87 um, and it's worth mentioning that when when bringing up Bruno Fernandes nine of his goals were from the spot penalties so uh, Kane was really in a class of his own had the highest non-penalty xg of any player in the league and the third highest who scored rating of any player in Europe's top five leagues behind only Messi and Lewandowski that is elite, truly elite company. Ultimately for me, this came down to a classic offense versus defense battle between him and Ruben Diaz. And I wound up going with Kane primarily because I tried to think of what Tottenham might've been without him. Uh, So many of the goals he scores are born out of individual brilliance. You know, I think of the West Ham goal, uh, Crystal Palace goal, the winning header he had against West Brom. I don't mean this as a slight to Diaz necessarily, but if you took Diaz off the team, I think they can still win the league. Potentially, if you took Kane off of this Tottenham team, I mean, are, are they top 10? Are, are they like truly?
2: No, they're um, relegated.
1: <laughs> so I don't know that you could say with any real confidence that they would have been better than like an Everton who finished 10th if Kane weren't there. So I, I don't love giving this award to a player whose team finished that low on the table. But I think his performance is met a threshold where you can do it and you can feel good about it. And for what it's worth. So I checked out the Guardian where they had 18 different Football journalists hand out their Player of the Season awards. Here is the breakdown of of how it went: five picked Ruben Diaz, four picked Harry Kane, okay. two picked Mason Mount, two picked Phil Foden, two picked Kevin De Bruyne, one went with Mo Salah, one went with Patrick Bamford, and one went with Ilkay Gundawan. Um, All right. So that's that's how it laid out there. Uh, but yeah, Harry Kane, my Player of the Season. What do you got?
2: My player of the season is Bruno Fernandes. Mm. I don't think Manchester United have been very good this season at all. And that is n- without mentioning their humiliation in the Europa League final. By the way, I, I just want to say this. there's never been a team so lucky on this podcast that somehow with the way recordings went, missed out on a verbal tongue lashing from both of us for that performance in Gdansk. But maybe we'll get a chance to do it down the line at some point. Absolutely despicable Um, but it's hard to argue that Bruno Fernandes hasn't been exceptional and a standout player in the league this season started 35 of the 38 games for United never injured he bagged 18 goals and 11 assists in the Premier League season United's main creative and goal-scoring force he scored some absolutely fantastic goals as well but he broke Frank Lampard's record of goals for a midfielder in all competitions in a single season Lampard scored 27 in 9-10 and Fernandes topped that with his 28th goal versus Liverpool, which was typically a 4-2 defeat um, at home at Old Trafford for Manchester United. I shudder to think, actually, I don't shudder, but can you imagine if this had been one of the the Woodward signings that didn't get over the line? What what the last however many months he's been at the club would have been like for Manchester United fans? He's been brilliant. He's brilliant to watch. Did he go missing in Gdansk? Yes, he's not the only one. Um, but I thought he I thought he had a brilliant season and um it would be remiss of me not to give him my player of the season award for what he's done as an individual in that team.
1: Wow. That's a bit of a surprise. I would say he would not have been a lot of people's first choice for that.
2: No, but um I mean but here
1: you are pandering to Manchester United fans. I don't suppose I am a... don't hate me. Nah, they can
2: hate me. I don't I don't honestly care to be honest with you. It's it's fine if they I mean that it's it's my it's my uh it's my opinion. I just thought, and it's something that you often do, you know. What if you took a player out of a team, right? Just took him out of that side. Where would that side be? I don't think there's a better example of that in the Premier League right now, rather than uh, Bruno Fernandez.
1: Who knows? So he gets it. Maybe we'll and, have seen and also, more of Donny Van de Beek
2: <laughs> breaking Frank Lampard's record. You know, in his second season or what, what would we say? Was it, is it his first full season at United? Like that's, it's pretty impressive.
1: Oh yeah. He's, he's a tremendous player. So there you go. That is, that is this year's edition of the EPL Devonlings. Uh, so many winners feeling good about themselves to all those nominated. Hey, even if you didn't win, it's something to shoot for next year. We're proud of you. All right. Just know that we're proud. Um, JJ, I don't have much else. I don't have much else. I hope everyone gets home safely this evening. I saw Sam Allardyce with a a craft of wine over there. Was that him, JJ, that was drinking wine? Was that out of a beer mug? Oh, you've you've forgotten that when the the
2: Daily, was it the Daily Telegraph sting? Right. That brought him down as England manager and he had a huge pint glass, which appeared to be a pint of wine. (laughs) That's how it was reported so uh yeah. not even a carafe a pint of wine
1: that's right i knew uh, it was something unusual
2: and that's actually hanging in our studio do uh, not picture- anymore no it's all gone that studio oh, has been razed to the ground demolished my friend listen this has been a lot of fun we're going to need timestamps on this podcast seriously
1: <sighs> well I'm, then i'll put you to work you can handle that my friend
2: it's not hard it's the first part and the second part andrew
1: it's it's very complicated. Hey, this was fun looking back on the season, looking back on Chelsea's Champions League victory. We will be back, like I said, potentially... Uh, we'll see how it goes, but potentially an emergency pod or a bonus pod later this week after the USA Honduras CONCACAF Nations League semifinal. To all the winners this evening, I congratulate you to Chelsea. I congratulate you on your Champions League victory. JJ, I congratulate you just for being so horribly right about the burrito gate incident. Uh, and I'm going to change. I'm going to eat them with my hands. I'm going to become an animal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight through my polite instincts and really embrace my animal instincts. And I'm going to eat them. I don't care. A lot of people said, I use a fork if they're covered in sauce and things like that. Uh, I won't even do that. I'm going to just go face first, sauce and all, all right? I'm going all in because I was so wrong. I got to change. I got to change. It's important to know that about oneself when you're wrong. Self-improvement, self-improvement. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Bye, burrito. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.